Welcome to Episode 1, Part 2 of Emergency Medicine Operations Management, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 7,000 emergency physicians committed to board certification and democratic group practice. In this month's podcast, Dr. Joseph Gorisco, chair of the AAEM Operations Management Committee, speaks with Dr. Tom Scaletta, past president of AAEM, about patient satisfaction. Part two continues with the topic of physician incentives for patient satisfaction. So I was thinking of the business case, one business case and one non-business case for for doing better in patient sat and, and see what you think. You know, after I've been practicing for 30 years, I know you've been out there a while too, and making the right diagnosis at some point in your career doesn't always get to be the most enjoyable aspect of the practice. It's really about beating patients' expectations on service and all the other things that they value. And I find that to be a big thrill when we beat patients' expectations on time to see a physician and the degree of concern and caring and comfort that they experience is really a thrill to see patients because in a modern ED, they don't expect that. So that's one angle I think I try to teach is that it's fun. The second thing is that I guess contracts are competitive, and if the group's success is tied to the individual physician's success in patient SAT, then the business case is uh, someone who's not delivering on patient SAT is risking the group's contract, and that's a huge incentive, (laughs) I think, keeping your contract. So uh, any thoughts on those two, even though you've elaborated on them briefly? What do you think about that? I have a lot of thoughts on this. So let me start with this. I did some talks at the last... AAM Scientific Assembly on Satisfaction, and to sort of gather the thoughts of CEOs before the talk, because I thought that that would influence the crowd, I sampled some some LinkedIn connections and had several responses. So what the CEOs are thinking about is that performance in the emergency department is critical for hospital survival. Okay, so maybe 20 years ago or more, we were considered sort of a backdoor, the stepchild of the hospital, a necessary evil. Maybe 10 years ago, we started becoming the front door, the hospital realizing from a marketing perspective, a great experience in the emergency department generates all sorts of other revenue because patients have a great experience. They want to stick with that hospital. And then going one step further today, I truly believe in the minds of the CEOs that we are considered the hub of the enterprise, meaning we can make or break the hospital. And that, that's multiple factors, not just satisfaction, but satisfaction is a big part. Other factors are disposition decisions. So if we are loose about admitting, you know, the hospital's gonna struggle. And if we're very parsimonious about admitting, yet creating a great experience for the patient, hospital's gonna survive in a way that they can actually thrive, not just survive. So CEOs are very focused in on what's going on in the emergency department. And I can tell you that of the people surveyed, at least two of them were candid and said that they were not happy with what was going on. They felt that they had counseled the emergency physicians, usually through the director, that they weren't getting where they wanted to be, or at least fast enough. And in both cases, they were ready for an RFP and to replace the groups. So that happens. I think sometimes emergency physicians 
get placed with unfair situations. But on the other hand, sometimes I think they aren't focused in enough on what the CEO is looking for and where their job security comes from. So I'd say that they need to be in tune with those issues just as a matter of survival. Now, the business case relates to that, of course, which is growing appropriate volume, creating loyal customers, preventing leakage to other hospitals when it's a competitive geography, which it often is. And another important business case that I want to touch on is the malpractice situation. Okay, so just speaking in really rough numbers, I would say that a lot of people believe, and I do as well, that half of malpractice cases are non-meritorious or frivolous. But all malpractice cases have some damage, something bad occurred. And when it relates to something that should have been done that wasn't, then you know there's going to be a payout. And, and I, I don't have a big problem with that. I, I think we do have a big problem with malpractice in general. But if, if a patient was harmed because a physician failed to act when they should have or acted wrongly when they shouldn't have. But the other half, the, the half that's truly frivolous, non-meritorious, relates a lot to satisfaction, okay? So a patient that that feels that they weren't listened to, that things were not explained appropriately, even if everything was done in a way that most physicians would have practiced, that often leads to lawsuits. And physicians that really struggle to connect to the patient or sort of overtly difficult to deal with from the patient's perspective, whether they're egocentric or, you know, just... Uh, a jerk, for lack of a better word, they will get themselves into a hole. And this thrills plaintiff attorneys because when you're in that hole, the only way to get out is to be a different kind of person. You have to be charming. You don't have to be right. You have to be somebody pleasant and charming and believable. And when you take a person that may come across as a jerk to patients, they're going to come across that way to jurors It's not based on science, and they will often lose cases. So I think there's a strong business case. Half lawsuits probably relate to how you've interacted with the patient, and there's huge opportunities there for emergency physicians. Right. I think think you're right. You know, building on that business case, clearly malpractice is four times higher in places that don't have great patient satisfaction than those that do. So that's important. It affects growth. It affects the bottom line because patients leave and there's a huge amount of revenue that leaves out the back door when patients leave. So that business case has always been there. I'm I'm just amazed that hospitals haven't really just mandated that we do everything possible to get patients out to where it needs to be. Now, now, as it's on a percentile basis, not everybody can be at the 99th percentile because it, it gets crowded at the top. But there are metrics that that relate to patients that, that hospitals should deliver on. But there's something changing out there. So that business case has always been out there. We, we sort of know that it's, it's just not good for business to have bad patients sat. But I think with the Affordable Care Act, as we get more competitive in this environment, what do you see coming down the pipeline? Do you think the Calvary is arriving in terms of hospitals being more competitive and, and they're going to have to have a great ED to, to survive? Do you think that's accountable care is going to drive resources our way and, and make it easier for us? Absolutely. We are amidst a paradigm shift from fee-for-service to fee-for-value. You'll hear other terms like pay-for-performance, 
or value-based purchasing, and they all relate to, I would say, a population model for contracting, you know, capitation essentially. It's a schizophrenic time right now because physicians and hospitals are paid currently on volume, which relates to charting and coding and, and maximizing that sort of thing. But that is going to be completely different, I would say, five years from now. And a stepwise way, we're going to be transitioning. So it's a very schizophrenic, difficult time for everybody involved, especially, I would say, the C-suite, because they are trying to make ends meet financially when the margin is getting smaller and smaller, with most of their contracts being volume-based. But they have to be appealing to payers that are looking for hospitals that are value-based. Uh, value basically means two things, which I think is you are minimizing the cost, so shortening hospital length of stay and only admitting patients that need to be admitted, but also value from the patient's perspective of having a great place to go, a you know, great experience. So it's a struggle right now because you're trying to be appealing for future contracts at the same time you're trying to make ends meet in a fee-for-service world. So I think that's going to be very different for hospitals and for the physicians as a result in the future. Yeah, I think you're right. In fact, today at Oxner, I'm chair of the compensation committee here at Oxner, and today at 4 o'clock, we're going to launch a whole new initiative because we are one of 200 certified ACOs in the United States right now. And so our new mantra is value over volume. And it's so key to what you just said that as we shift from transaction-based economy and healthcare to a value-based economy, we're going to have to do things better, faster, at less cost. And better means higher quality, higher patient satisfaction, because those are going to be the drivers as we get into value-based purchasing. A lot of our compensation as an organization is going to be related to pay for performance. So there's going to be a lot of payments from payers related to ED performance. And some of that ED performance will be based on patient experience, patient satisfaction, delivery of service metrics. So in a big way, it is changing from pure transaction where you reward it for transactions to to a value system. And part of that value is going to be the, the patient's experience and their perception of their care. And that's coming fast. So I think, again, we're, we're going to hopefully move from, you know, as we move in and out of being the darlings of healthcare to the department that wants to be hidden, I think we're going to move back into a position where there's extreme high value on, on how the ED performs. Yeah, I completely agree. I like the acronym QUEST to sort of think about the major factors that are involved. These are factors that you know relate to hospitals, but then drill down to what an individual emergency physician focuses on and achieves. So Quest, you know, the Q is quality. The U is utilization. Utilization relates to cost, which is to me also relates to resource waste. If you have effective utilization, you're minimizing your resource waste. E is efficiency, which is time waste. Again, that's cost. So utilization and efficiency relate to cost. The S is satisfaction, which we've talked a lot about. And T is teamwork. Teamwork to me means having a very healthy environment. We don't have disruptive physicians. 
there's a lot of respect and professionalism going on. And those performance differentiators are, I think, what the payers are going to be looking for when they're contracting. They want high quality utilization, efficiency, satisfaction, and a great team. Right. Yeah, and I think the options to do it any other way are going to disappear really fast with value-based purchasing and pay for performance. There are going to be so many key performance metrics tied to the ED in terms of quality and satisfaction that, in a way, I think the cavalry has arrived. I think we're going to, whether hospitals truly wanted to invest in their EDs, I don't think they're going to have much choice. So I think things are looking better for the future for emergency medicine in terms of capacity management, patient satisfaction, and so forth. So I, w- I want to get into another topic here on social media, but it relates to my, the actual question I want to ask, and so it's going to tie into social media. But there is a difference between patient satisfaction and the patient experience. I'm not always sure we're measuring the right thing, the, the patient experience. So tell me, how does physicians and EDs make a great first impression, and how do you really win the patient over? How do you, what's really key to that experience? And then I want to talk about what, how patients are beginning to measure that patient experience. Sure. So I would say that the art of emergency medicine in some ways relates to taking two minutes to gain the patient's trust so that for the next two hours, they'll essentially be happy with your plan of action. So you've you've got two minutes to earn their trust. Now, every physician is different in terms of personality and all sorts of other aspects, but it's always achievable. You've got to learn where your strengths are and you need to avoid your weaknesses. So you have to be a little more in tune with yourself, I would say. And a lot of this relates to what people will call emotional intelligence which starts out with sort of understanding yourself, what you should do or not do, having good impulse control. Probably the easiest is always be empathetic and a good listener as much as you possibly can. I know it's difficult when, you know, at at a certain point you're upshifting and trying to see five patients an hour to sit and listen. So there are limits to what you can do, but realize that those kind of things, within the first two minutes of your interaction, can make or break the next two hours in terms of how easy things go or not. I would say that learning how to do a great job there, there's some of this is innate, but a lot of it can be learned. You can read about emotional intelligence, about skill building regarding that sort of thing. So that's something I think physicians can definitely focus on to create a great experience for the patient. Yeah, I agree. As we begin winding up here, I actually want to talk about the thing that I think is most interesting to both of us, and I think it may not be well-known everywhere, but let's talk about social media. So not everything is being funneled through Presgany anymore, and I don't want to be too critical of Presgany. They provided a valuable service forever, for a long time, and there are others out there who are doing patient sat measurement, but I'm not quite sure it's measuring the patient experience. And maybe in the social media, we might be seeing crowdsourcing of patient satisfaction. We may be seeing patient perspective in a different way. How do you see social media? Are we beginning to see social media actually value patient satisfaction, be a a source of information? And is it gonna change the way we practice? Is it a key driver for the change that's coming ahead? I think so. I think Well, using a different industry, in restaurants, for instance, I mean, the way I find out what restaurant I might want to go to if I want to try something new is I go to Yelp. 
if I want to go on vacation and find out what's going on in a certain city, I go to TripAdvisor. These are databases of experiences. So for healthcare, I mean, people are going to places like HealthGrades. You'll see all sorts of posts, you know, when patients identify a hospital specifically in these sort of social media services, they can make or break other people's perception of the hospital. And when you have a great experience for a patient, you'll start to see people evangelizing and taking the time to go to these places and, and letting everybody else know about their experience. I would say that that is possibly an indicator of how great of a job you're doing as to what is being put out there in, in that social media forum. Yeah, and I agree. I, I know I avoided two restaurants this past weekend strictly because of the comments that were online from various social media sites. So uh, there's no doubt that it's coming to healthcare, and I, it has not been there in the past because we have not been competitive in healthcare. But as we get more competitive and patients do have more choice, and they base that choice on what they know in the media. I think the social media is going to be really, really important. So I want to get to something that, again, that's probably related to that, and I know something you're working on. So first of all, patient satisfaction, we're not quite sure we're measuring the right things. It's gained quite a bit, and it doesn't always measure the patient's experience. And the most important thing, in a big way, any tool that we use to measure patient experience or patient satisfaction ought to also not just measure it, but actually create it. And so it gets into applications outside of Presigandy that are looking at the patient experience, looking at much larger sample size, that is looking at a real-time measure of the patient's encounter and not something that comes through the mail in six months after the visit. So let's look at innovations out there that might have an opportunity to do a better job at measuring the patient experience, but not just measure it, but actually by interacting with the patient in some way, actually create a better experience, which is important too. Do you have any thoughts about that? This has been an area that I've been personally working on for a while. We talked a little bit initially about introducing patient recontact to a struggling emergency department. And one of the projects I've been working on is trying to do that now electronically. And basically, we will reach patients either by email or text message the next day with a system that invites their concerns, that measures their experience that checks on their well-being. So it serves a lot of different purposes, but it also is a way to start to be engaging with patients in a way that we haven't seen before. So this creates opportunities for hospitals. For instance, my emergency department is going to be switching over to Epic soon, and that brings the opportunity to send patients to my chart, which is a place where they can find all their tests and results and that sort of thing. And initially, we're going to have to educate patients that this exists. So when we have ways to engage patients, we can put links there and teach them, for instance, about my chart. We can send them to health grades to see the profile of the physician that took care of them to try to promote some of this social media marketing. I think this is kind of the wave of the future is going to be a more electronic world, a way of interacting with patients that way. Yeah, I think you know, we're at Epic Site too, and I think there is an opportunity to connect patients to their experience electronically, uh, real-time, with a lot more specificity. And it gets into, I think, creating patient sat because once the patient leaves the ED, most people thought the opportunity to impact patient satisfaction is gone. And in many ways, it was gone. But now, 
as people are more connected electronically, I, I think we can continue modifying and improving and impacting their patient experience in the ED by managing their transitions of care outside the ED, back to their doctor, monitoring their progress, uh, making sure their medications were refilled, and that gets into recontact, I agree. That's something that hasn't been done, but it certainly should provide another huge opportunity to mitigate any things that went wrong, that impacted their experience, to measure it and provide a tool for improving it, but more importantly, to change it. So, any more thoughts about that? I know you've elaborated on that some, and I know you're you're doing that. And I think it's, I think it's the future of the tools that we use in terms of patient sat and patient experience. It's it's going to go beyond the ED, but we need to connect in a different way that we have in the past in terms of patient satisfaction. Right. So the tool we used was actually just a few days ago acknowledged by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation as a promising practice for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. First, just the act of doing a well-being check is pleasing to patients. So that boosts satisfaction, let alone the risk mitigation of finding that there's a problem and reeling the patient back in. We also find other problems that we can fix. For instance, a ruthless orthopod that doesn't want to see a Medicaid patient, but has to really, according to hospital bylaw because they have a broken ankle that needs to be addressed. So we can find out that they've been blocked and automatically send a message to our case managers. And this is all done electronically. So, you know, it's very low cost from an HR perspective. So patient responds that they have trouble with making a FALP appointment, email automatically goes to the case manager who comes back around and, and addresses that. We use this as a way to measure docs and nurses in terms of the perception of how much they cared for the patient. And we also use it as a catch-all for complaints and issues, which is a whole other thing we could talk about because complaint management is a huge opportunity for emergency departments to actually grow market share dollar for dollar. Money spent on complaint management might be better than more money on marketing in terms of increasing revenue and loyalty and that sort of thing. I know the work you're doing, and I think you're onto something really, really innovative. And with Epic here, we're attempting to do some similar things within Epic in terms of patient recontact. But you're right. I think the key to this is that patients are going to interact with us in a different way. And the existing way we try to impact patients that and try to measure it is just not going to work. It doesn't end with the patient's visit. And so having innovations that connect us to the patient following the discharge allows us to manage any dissatisfaction and do complaint management is going to go a long way. I really think that's the the future of patient satisfaction. So I, I know if people come into this podcast not understanding that there are a number of breakthroughs out there that are going to provide us with tools to do this in a different way. And it is part of value over volume, value-based purchasing creating that value is going to extend beyond the visit into transitions of care outside the ED. And we can manage that. And I think that's the value we're going to bring. I think that's what patients expect is not to be kicked out of the ED and you're on your own from there. We can't do it with the existing model. So I think these new tools that you talk about are going to allow us to not only measure that experience, but to continue to monitor and manage that experience beyond the ED visit. Yeah, and there's actually a large pool of research to support what you just said. 
if people want to look at it, they can go to smart-er.net, click on the research tab, and you'll see what's been published. It's been quite a bit that will show that this kind of engagement improves outcomes, definitely improves satisfaction, and it is definitely the wave of the future. Yeah, we'll end on a few of these real cool things that are happening. I think if you think about it, how most people are interacting these days, just imagine you received a survey on your iPhone and that there are five or six key questions and how efficient that would be. And because it's very close to your actual experience in the ED, so the your memories are fresh. And based upon those responses, it allows the facility or the ED to actually immediately begin mitigating anything that did not go right. That's not been done before, but I think it is the way we're going to do it in the future because there's not, there's not an endpoint to that visit. So I think the technologies are out there, some of the innovations in terms of applications and software, some of the things you're working on, I think are huge opportunities for those who want to really address the patient's experience, not the transaction itself, but beyond the ED visit are, are going to be huge opportunities. What other resources for those who are listening to the podcast, what other resources and tools you see out there that are going to be useful to us to get to where we need to go? Well, I would say that one thing that's going to be prevalent is the CAPS surveys. That's something that's not necessarily a choice that we have, but people should be aware of that. And the CAPS stands for Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers and Systems. It's basically the government's version of satisfaction measurement. And other other metrics are going to be publicly reported for emergency departments. So I think one thing that our listeners ought to do is look up your own hospital on hospitalcompare.gov and and see how you're performing because that's what your community is looking at and definitely your CEO is looking at and look for opportunities there. Right. Good. Is there anything else, Tom, you want to bring up things we haven't touched on that you think are important for the audience to hear? I know we've touched on a lot of things going back to the basics of patient sat through new trends in value-based purchasing, through you know, impacting patients that new models of care innovations are out there. Anything we we haven't touched on that you think is important? Let me give you a couple of AAEM resources. Both of them actually are from 2006 when I was president, which I think are always going to be applicable. One is a uh, joint position on a code of professional conduct that was done conjointly with the ENA. So if you are a medical director and you have a difficult physician or a difficult nurse, this is a good thing to pull out and maybe use as a tool to explain you know, what the rules need to be. The other is our AAM position on patient satisfaction surveys, which also came out in 2006. And there's four main points there that any measurement tool needs to be revealed to the emergency physician that there needs to be an adequate survey size if you're going to be using it to discriminate between physicians. The results, of course, need to be shared, and that any use of those results that affect your job status or compensation really need to be detailed in the contract. So those are supportive documents that AEM has created in the past. That's great, Tom. So I've enjoyed this talk with patients at, and I think the audience hopefully has. If there are additional questions or concerns, I think both of our contact information details are located at AEM. If there's any further questions or potential interactions that 
the audience might want to have with either one of us regarding patient satisfaction, I think we can be contacted through the AEM site. I just want to thank Tom for doing this and thank everyone on the podcast audience for participating. Thanks very much, Tom, for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it myself. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM and to access the resources mentioned, please visit our website at www.aaem.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the AAEM blog, part of AAEM Connect, where you can leave comments and engage in a conversation around the issues discussed in this podcast. Join us again next month as the AAEM Operations Management Committee will discuss more issues of relevance to emergency physicians.